when I played, you know, a game like Super Meat Boy, um, I, I didn't really care to get, I just cared to beat the levels and move to the next level. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about like replaying and trying to get the best time because why? Mm-hmm. Like what happens if you get the best times? You get an A plus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so like who, 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 are, who are you to, to grade me? <laughs> Game, you know, like I had a good time playing it my way. You just get off my back about it. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to episode 302 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Dev Comedy Podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm having a feline stare down. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 12th. 2021 dunk on everyone before we get started we have a warning we're go- we're going to be swearing on this show swears Kindly. and dunks just galore yeah uh it's explicit it's an explicit podcast so you know it's just a thing you got to deal with uh we also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net we got a we got a new one well not a new one we got an old one but a new one mm. retro banana man nl hey. Uh, says, many podcasts ago, you recommended Deep Rock Galactic to play with friends. I did play with friends recently, and it was amazing. Mm. So here's the difference of the discount I got when I bought the game. I think that's how it's <laughs> supposed to work. Yeah, yeah. When you buy is, other people's yeah. games and you get a discount, you give the difference to us. That's, to us, always. Yeah, no matter always. what the game is, no matter what the situation is. Yeah, it's sort of like a tithing thing for your gaming spend. You yeah, know. if you can actually just do this for all purchases. Yeah. Anytime you go buy a pair of jeans and it's buy yeah. one, get one free, you actually owe us for the second pair. You know, there's a whole saving uh, strategy, you know, mm-hmm. where, you, where you do, you take the difference and you put it into savings. Um, yeah. It's like that, but we're the savings. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. sort of like, yeah, it's like you get, a, you get a credit card. Maybe we should start a credit card thing, right? Get a Butterscotch credit card, get 3% cash back on top of your purchase that then goes to us just forever. Well, it's not cash back. It's actually a cash back It's 100% cash spent increase but where yeah. the doubling goes goes our way can we just start uh, an mlm uh that seems like the best way to get at it yeah you know? uh, they apparently aren't illegal anymore so like can we just you know make one well yeah they're not a it's they're not illegal because they're just not called a pyramid scheme right. so you just call it something you know, else and then you can just do, do whatever you want mm-hmm yeah, that's kind of like how it used to be the case that the, the president of the United States had to go to Congress to do treaties, right? And then and then the president was like, what if I just call it an executive agreement? Mm-hmm. And now, boom. Same deal with It's not laws, a treaty right? anymore. Yeah, it used to have – Congress had to make laws and now the president could just say, oh, this is an executive order. You know? It's not a law, so it's this whole so other – it's a whole other thing. <laughs> but you still got to do it. Yep. Got to do it. Uh, yeah, if you just change the names of things and the rules don't matter anymore, you know, as a programmer, I can get behind this. Oh yeah. yeah it makes sense. perfect sense. You know, names, names matter. Uh, we'd also like to thank Jade Hamilton for the donation. No message attached. This, he just, just straight up. Jade just came in, dunked some cash and just silently walked away. Thanks Jade. Real like power move, Jade. Power move. Uh, all right. So we, we don't have a lot to go over this week cause we just been kind of, you know, we just been kind of. Chugging along, mm-hmm. uh, moving all of our projects forward. Um, nothing truly earth-shattering has happened, but I will say that uh, it's very exciting to see how Crashlands 2 
is starting to hit our visual target. So I thought like, this is good radio, right? Let's talk about how something looks. Let's really just, <laughs> let's really just get in there and dig into the visuals of a thing, you know, uh, verbally. So uh, what I think is kind of cool about it is that, is that we have a visual target for Crash Lens 2 where Sam went into Clip Studio Paint and he put together some actual like video, like some moving images of, of what the game world should feel like in, in terms of having like wind or sort of sunlight kind of like dappling on the ground as if you're in like a dense forest, um, clouds passing overhead, shadows of birds passing overhead, um, even stuff like wind blows and you see like the grass rustling, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Basically, this kind of idea of an atmospheric visual target of like, what should it really feel like to be here and how are the visuals going to convey that? So for starters, like we've never done that before. No, we've never taken more than I think about three minutes uh, sort of ahead of time. So the, the way I would describe it, and we've talked about this in the past, a little design by chaos thing, sort of just, you know, whatever the next thing is, putting that down. The problem is with that approach when you're looking at environments in particular is that an environment is essentially one large batch delivery of uh, of visual goods that if you're if you're just iterating on like individual pieces of it, it's very easy to just not do it well. I think uh, in the sense that like you know having having just one aspect of any of those things you mentioned, so having just some cloud cover, yeah, it adds a little bit. Uh, but having all of them put together, plus all the color schemes worked out ahead of time, like all that stuff uh, cohesively figured out before you start kind of paddling along. Um, makes a big difference in terms of both how you iterate, how quickly you get there, and then what the end result is. At least it has been for us this time around, which has been really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And all the pieces of the environment talk to each other. And so um it's all it's a circular problem too. If you're if you're saying like, I'm gonna work on the the grass texture today, right? Uh and that's the only piece of the environment you're gonna work on, then changing the grass texture may suddenly make it so that other pieces of the environment don't fit anymore, mm. right? And so you update those, but then now the things in the environment, maybe like the creatures or the, the objects, the rocks, whatever, they suddenly don't seem to fit, right? Because every everything is completely context-dependent, um, and and it's very hard to, to – it's hard to do it iteratively, and it's also hard to do it in one go. Yep. They're you just know? hard. <laughs> it's, it's just, just hard, hard to do, and you and – you, you kind of just have to be willing to take the time to kind of like re-examine it periodically and pull up pieces of it that don't seem to be pulling their weight, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's very exciting. Uh, I think it's, it's starting to hit that point where when, when, when I boot it up, I'm just like, Ooh, like I think like, this is the best looking thing we've ever made. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, we're still not even done with, with this like visuals pass. Um, so that's uh, I'm pumped. Yeah, and that's really all I wanted to say about studio stuff. I'm this I'm week. I'm jazz alongside you doing jazz hands here. I'm very pumped. Yeah, uh, and of course, like in the industry news, you know, some company acquired some other company. Uh, so there were some mergers. A bunch of people quit some other company because they got fired, probably, or they got mm-hmm. burned out, or something. They quit because they um, got fired. That's yeah. One of so those. you know. So like you know that stuff happened this week probably in the games industry. I think Microsoft uh, did 
finish buying. Didn't they just finish buying? Bethesda? Oh yeah, of course. Bethesda. So or this something? is the exciting thing, actually. So we've always I've been a big fan of Game Pass. We're talking about Game Pass all the time. Level heads of Game Pass, you know. Um, but only Bethesda, for uh, the, the merest of remaining moments. So. Yeah, only until yeah, the end of April. There. But yep. uh, in in big Game Pass news, because Microsoft bought Bethesda, I don't know if you guys saw this. They're just dunking like all of the incredible Bethesda games in there. So basically, all of the Fallout's. Boom, in there. All so the all, all the incredible ones and then also Fallout 4. So yes. Yeah. What you're saying. Um yeah, all the all the dooms, all of the Elder Wind Elder Scrolls, Elder Wind Skies, Rims. Yep. You know, all those are going in there. So if you haven't got Game Pass and you haven't played any of those games and you've ever thought, I'm just saying, what a deal. What do you Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh I yeah, I I think they're doing it. I think Microsoft is doing it right. It's just a, it, this such a stupidly incredible value proposition. I just every so often I'm just like this is, doesn't make economic sense, but somehow it does. So whatever, let it roll. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same model of how you know uh, Netflix will mm-hmm. will uh, spend however many tens of millions of dollars putting a show together, you know, and then they put it up on Netflix and like nobody's paying any more for it. <laughs> it's just it's just keeping subscribers around and giving more people a reason to subscribe and uh, and it pays off, you know? So, very cool. All right, let's just get into some questions. Yeah, let's go. All right, here we go. So these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. And if you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, just get on over there and uh, dunk that question in the text box. Highest upvoted question comes from Maximilio, who says... Do you ever play Levelhead or any of your other games, but I imagine Levelhead would be the main one, uh, yourselves recreationally? I ask because one of the cool things about endless content games is the developers can play them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say Crashlands I didn't touch I think for like two years after we launched it because because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I know. I know what's in here, you know. Um Levelhead has been different in that regard where sometimes if uh, – especially when Sammy puts together a community spotlights, every so often she'd be like, you guys, you gotta – you gotta go play this thing. Go check this out. Uh, so I do still revisit it eh, probably like once a month or so. I'll just go, kind of go poke around a little bit. So sometimes I think you'll randomly see depending on on if I have played your level or not. I, I also dish out a lot of uh, hearts, you know, a lot of likes because I think that's a fun one to get a like from a, a dev. So – yeah, mm-hmm. but you guys. Yeah, I'd say uh, I will play them quite a bit, like while we are working on them, or if we're working on patches or or whatever. Um, because I, you know, I think it's it's important to like be close to the the game mm-hmm. and like really get a good good feel for for it and how it's working and stuff. But there's a a flip side of that, which is <clears throat> that it's super super hard to play a game that I am responsible for without without discovering jobs for myself, yep. right? <laughs> yep. Um, and it could be anything, you know, like I'll, I could boot up the game and then there'd be like a hitch maybe, like as it's something's mm-hmm. loading. And I'll be like, is that new? Has that always been there? Let me Can look I into that. that? Yeah. yeah, boom! Suddenly, I've got the source code open, and I'm you know I'm in Game Maker, and I'm like yeah. digging through the loading code. Uh, I mean, I feel like our, our listeners have heard just how many complaints we can 
register about, frankly, almost anything from a design standpoint in a matter of moments. So the same thing applies when we play our own games, which makes it very uncomfortable because then you're like, yeah, oh, I have a bunch of work to do now. Oh, no. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you also have to think about like, why do you, why do you play games? And for me, there's kind of like two, two core things. You know, one is the, is the social angle. So like I, I have a lot of online gaming friends. Um, but the other is just, you know, it's just a, it's a chill, relaxing way to unwind. Right. And it's just always going to be the case that if I play my own games, I, I wind, I get, yep. I get wound up, you know, it's, uh, cause yeah, I, I can't, I can't turn. If, if I played somebody else's game, I can't do anything about the problems in the game. It's not my, it's not my problem. It's not responsibility. That's why I'm paying them mm-hmm. so, so that I don't, I get to just relax and I don't have to worry about those things. Yeah. Um, it is but, easier oh God, once you're like, well, server crash lands. We're so far outside the window of adding content or doing anything besides, you know, uh, new bug fixes as in things that have just appeared because of a, of a platform update or something, you know, um, yeah. all the, any, all the old bugs that we've now known about for, you know, five years, basically. Uh, and just already decided not to fix because they're minor enough, whatever. We already fixed a million bugs over the first, you know, mm-hmm. year after launch. Uh, and, and so those things have become just familiar enough that they become like, they're, they're now the normal jank that you experience in any other person's video game, you know, where you just, your eyeballs just kind of slide right off and you don't even, you don't <laughs> even care, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with Crashlands where I can, I, I mean, I don't pick it up often cause I, I already played through it after we launched it, played through it before we launched it. Uh, and in both those occasions, a lot of what I was doing was looking for issues cause it was still, you know, yep. proximal to us working on it. Uh, but I was still mostly able to just enjoy it at that time. And then otherwise, the only times I really booted up questions again were uh, when we needed to do something, you know. Um, but in those occasions, because the thing we needed to do was very specific, right? We knew exactly the whole the whole thing. Then I, I would just boot it up and I would just start playing and just have a good time. Because the playing part, uh, it wasn't that had nothing to do with the thing that had to happen, right? So I would just get it kind of get sucked in and really enjoy it. Uh, but I don't I don't play it for long and I don't go, I don't go to our games, you know, to, if yep. I want to play a game, um, I always go to other games because just like with, you know, I, I'm more familiar with, with Crashlands than of course with any other game in the universe uh, because, uh, I was much more involved in that more directly than I was in, um, even Levelhead actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also was, we've had it around for a long, long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and yep. so and I wrote bits of the story and I edited the whole story um, mm-hmm. a couple times. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just so familiar with it that I don't have that need to go back. But that said, every time I do go back, there's, it's just a good time. Levelhead, on the other yeah. hand, I actually never played through the entirety of. And, uh, and when I revisit it, I go through and I start, and I just play some of the campaign and just kind of like make a little progress. I played through maybe three quarters of the campaign or something. So a significant fraction um, but while I was playing it, it kept on getting updates underneath because I was playing it during development. You know, so, that's true. You, yeah, you'd play it. You'd play it for a while and then sit on it for a few weeks and then come back mm-hmm. and start playing the campaign again. And it's like, yeah, everything's changed. A whole now. bunch of stuff is different. <laughs> I, and I, and I can't, it's hard to keep track of like where I was. And and for me, a game like Levelhead, it's got it's like it's got that completionist need to it, you know, mm-hmm. because I got, you get those little stats up in the top, right. When you hit the campaign of all the things you're supposed to be doing and, and like, and those kept on getting added too, right. Cause the, the, yep. the, like the best time thing was, it was a very late addition. And then the, the, uh, 
the beat the, the best time pieces. thing, whatever that was, you know, like whatever you call that. Oh, the on time delivery. The on time delivery, you know, it was, yeah. it was like a very, that was like a last fucking second edition. And so every time I'd, I'd made a whole bunch of progress and I would come back and be like, oh no, I gotta go play all this over again, right? So, so, so like I just repeatedly played big chunks of it that were constantly <laughs> changing. And that last, so you never quite, you never got to the end. Cause I think, yeah, we, got cause, we, cause we, we added the end, you know, pretty late in the last oh, yeah, bit of the campaign. Yeah. Um, yeah, but of course, if if that's added on top of all these new things to, to go back to, yeah. plus reworks of the of the uh, original pieces of the campaign, the, the first batch of levels and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because I always want to see it all, you know. So then I start back at the beginning, start working my way through, and then and then because there's the on time delivery, I'm like, well, I gotta I gotta get kind of go back. I mean, I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta but go then, back. Again. But then the issue that I had had and what kind of ended up kicking me out of it was because some of those were so hard that. Mm-hmm. I would try it for like 20 minutes and then just be like, okay, I'm done with level head now. Right. Cause then <laughs> and then I didn't just, didn't, didn't just didn't come back, you know? Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing we learned with level head, you know, it's um, the, the people, the people who it's for, it's really for those people. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it does a really good job of being the thing that it is. Um, but that thing is appealing to a much smaller section of the of the populace than we expected. Yes, because right? it's hard. Very, it's very hard. Yeah, it, um, it requires that uh, that joy and just kind of going after a hard thing until you get it. Um, yeah, which is something that I've uh, I, I have on occasion in games, um, but it, it never lasts. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. always. For any game, no matter how much I like it, once once there's enough of that, then it kicks me out. And so, so like the last one that happened with was Hollow Knight, uh, which I got I progressed quite a ways into. Um, I don't know, like twenty hours into the campaign or something, and uh, and beat a couple bosses that were very hard. One of them took me like half an hour, mm-hmm. over and over and over and over, you know, and finally beat it. And uh, but each time that that happened, I was like, there was like a I was just dangling by a thread, you know, that was that was left of my willingness to put myself through that. And of course it was always very satisfying when I got to the other side, but it's like each attempt just chips away just a little more, you know, it's very risky. And then there was at some point uh, that was actually because of, of, uh, of checkpoint placement where it was just hard enough to get to the hard thing. You know, it took long enough to get to the hard thing. Actually, this happened to actually, the last time this happened to me was in control. Uh, which yep, had the same deal. Like I pl- yeah, I played like 12 hours in and then got to a boss and then the boss was for some fucking reason like a whole minute away from the checkpoint. You know what that, you know what that is? That's the, it's the black mirror effect, which is like that moment where you suddenly become self-aware. Yeah, right. Because right. you, you remove the, the speed of the retry, right? So Yeah, where yeah. you suddenly, like if the game makes you realize like just how much time you've had to put into doing this one thing Right, yeah. like you're trying to beat this boss or whatever, and if there's that moment where it's like 30 seconds for you to get back to the boss, yeah, where you nothing's going on and you're just like rethinking your life, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that was that was, and the you're big, like, you know, maybe I should just go play a different game, yeah, or just go read a well, book. Well, I think that was, one of the, <laughs> that was one of the big you know realizations we had with the design of Levelhead with the, the rapid response because, yeah, playing Super Meat Boy, which has those, versus playing Mario. Uh, the, di- the the impact of that is so huge because the fact that by the time you have the moment, the chance to think, oh, that was hard, fuck this, right? You're, You're already playing again, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and, it's, and it, it's interesting now when you think about that uh, about that design and then why that that 
stops being successful for certain people under certain occasions, right? And I think it's because in the moment, in the moment of gameplay, when the problem is dying, right, then that's super effective because like you die and all of a sudden you're playing again, right? So it just keeps you back in the loop. But if the thing you're trying to solve is like beating your last time, yeah, right. It's actually much harder. That actually requires going from beginning to end, right? And you it's don't like know walking. until you get to the end if you did it, right? So yeah. it actually is it's walking it's the long, that long hallway again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then if you have to leave the level, then now you're just free with infinite time to make decisions, right? And so if you like leave the level, now we're deciding what to do next, right? Uh, and you just did a really hard thing, so your your like activation energy has been you know kind of fucked with. Then the chances of you moving on to another level are also down because you aren't just already in that next level doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can also see like the Netflix thing, you know, where it's just like they just start playing the next show, just start playing the next yeah. show. Right? I mean, there's an interesting yeah. idea here. And too, also, just, uh, they they changed that countdown too. It used to be it used to be like next episode starting in like twelve seconds. But they started at twenty. And, it was a long. Yeah, and, yeah, and now it's like five. Yep. Because yep. they're they're like, oh no, yeah, we can't we can't let you. There's there needs to be a a it needs to seem like they're giving you the option to stop watching. Yeah. But, also, <laughs> but I also imagine it because I'm sure they have analytics up the wazoo on these things, but uh, that from watching shows on streaming services, I don't think there's ever been a moment where I've ended a show where I didn't click the, the next button. They all have countdown timers, right? Mm-hmm. No matter yeah. how fast that timer is, it is not fast. Like if I see one credit, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? This is taking. Well, I kind of wonder like, why, why even have that? Like, why doesn't it just? They probably actually have to for uh, uh, legal reasons, you know. To like, they can't probably probably can't auto skip the credits. I bet mm. due to some sort of agreements and things. I would imagine. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing for me with with that level head design stuff is that a lot of the stuff, a lot of things we talked about when it came to adding those timers in was it was, an, it was a very requested feature that there was some sort of uh, uh, essentially a speed running component. Yeah, speed running component to the overall campaign. And, you know, in retrospect, I think probably the smarter way to do it would have been to make it so that once you beat the campaign, then we yeah. flip all those on because essentially we, we didn't actually have to. So you don't burn yourself out on the way to beating the campaign. Exactly. I think yeah. that the thing we didn't realize is that it's like I do not personally play games in the way that I try to collect everything while I'm also trying to beat the game. Uh, if uh, I'm yeah, going to do. do though, yeah. Yeah. So like, it's, it, like depending on the person, apparently I think it's like a 50-50 split on like yeah. psych for people or either you're the person who if you see – if if a div says like yeah, there's three other things you could have accomplished on this level, then you're gonna go back and redo it until you get all three of those until before you even move on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm I'm the person who plays. Uh, this was true in Super Meat Boy. It's true in like there's that that there was that that was that weird ass like programming game is like Human Resource Machine or whatever. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. where you get scored at the end, right? And mm-hmm. and I'm the person who like who will replay the level until I get the A plus or until I decide that right. that's next score is impossible right now. But that that usually I'll try for it, you know, five times, ten times, or whatever mm-hmm. before I move on to the next thing. And so I burn out really quick. So and for me, that it basically means like when there's a collectible component or like a or a get this score component or whatever, because I think of that as a collectible too. Uh, those are the things that cause me to burn out because I can't. I don't want to just move on. I want to get the thing. Yeah, you know. Despite yeah. the fact that you may not actually be having that good of a time, because like the thing is, all of the all of the on time delivery scores, of course, in, in level head as well as these like speed scores in a lot of games are based on the idea that you have already mastered the game. It's like if you reapproach yeah. this level after having beaten the campaign, right? Uh, how effectively would you run it versus the first time you did? So mm-hmm. I think that's one of those things where you, and we've talked a little bit about this idea of progressive design or progressive difficulty and that sort of thing where people can sort of choose their level of involvement but aren't actually 
given the given the feedback at all uh, to that that pushes them uh, necessarily. Well, you have to you have to when it comes to the design part, you have to you have to pay attention to the psychological the, the psychological question of do people actually have a choice? Right? Yes, because yes. yeah, for that because depending on the kind of person and what they're into and what what causes them to need to move forward in some way or whatever. Um, you may present something as like, oh yeah, you can opt, you can you can try to get this on time delivery if you want to. You don't have to. We're not making you get a time to move ahead. You can think about that as the as the as the progressive choice. But the reality is is that just psychologically, for a significant subset of people, if that is a thing to them, that is not optional. Mm-hmm. That's a thing they must do now, right? And and it's yeah, a, that's it. It's a tricky <laughs> design problem, right? Of understanding yeah. like when is a thing truly optional and for whom, right? Mm-hmm. Because just the fact that you don't have to do it. Like uh, in the most technical sense of the word, right? Like you can move forward without it. Uh, you still, for some people, they still got to do it. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I because I have a very, I have a, t- a totally opposite approach to my gaming stuff, which is I am, I'm 100% okay with not achieving anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and this this comes a lot from my my World of Warcraft uh, gaming experience, where there's there's thousands of things to collect and get and do, and uh, you have a quest log that can have like up to twenty five quests in it at a time. Every day there's world quests popping up. You can collect battle pets. There's like five hundred. No, there's, there's probably five thousand. I don't know mounts that you can go collect. I think they have over 5,000 achievements, mm-hmm. maybe 10,000 by now. Um, and I genuinely don't go after any of them. <laughs> uh, I just, I just log in and uh, whatever, whatever my friends are up to, uh, I just hop in and I'm like, Hey, you guys need help. You guys are running a dungeon. You're doing this thing. And they're like, um, I have these seven achievements that I have to get that I'm mad that I didn't get yet. Yeah. Okay. And I'll be like, all right, I'll, I'll help you. You know, well, um, I've, got, so then, I've got, I've got two comments on this because I think mm-hmm. your perspective on this is, is, uh, is warped by time, but also the realities of what World of Warcraft is because you're also the person who I, I have seen your inventory of mounts. And I've heard True. some of the stories of what it took to get some of those mounts. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but the thing is, I don't go after them. Like, I just, they just, they just landed my lap as I'm just passively going about my business. I know, I, I believe that's true do- now. <laughs> I believe that's true now, but that certainly was not true for your first, you know, half half decade or whatever mm-hmm. of World of Warcraft. True. Um, yeah. But I think the important point here is actually that you're, you're sort of set up for this, for this point, which is that in World of Warcraft, uh, they're... There's so much to do that I, I I don't think you could see it as a collector problem anymore, right? You can't right. look at a wall of like 5,000 achievements and be like, I'm going to get all these, right? That's not a thing. I, th- I think it's so overwhelming uh, that it no longer becomes even an option. So that you don't you don't look at right. that and say like, oh, I'm going to go I'm going to go get all these. Versus, mm-hmm. you know, you complete a level in a game with 90 levels or whatever, right? And at the end of it, it's like, oh, here's a thing you could do, right? You could you could play right. this level again and mm. get the best score or whatever, right? Uh, I think there's a huge difference there. And, and I guess I can like see this. how if you play a lot of a game like World of Warcraft where those things have are, have become meaningless because there's so many, um, that that fact – because you, you mm. attach a certain idea to what an achievement means and what a, you know, a collector item means and so yeah. on. I can see how that fact that that has been forced to become meaningless could – 
propagated to your experience in other games as well. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it would it reach a point where, and there's even there's like an there's an add on called All the Things where it actually <laughs> like it updates your tooltips for everything to to make sure that you know that whenever you see anything in the game, mm-hmm. you, have a, you have a full list of all of the achievements and quest chains and whatever that that item is associated with. And you would discover things Ooh. like something that looks like garbage that normally you would throw away. It turns out there's like seven achievements that need you to somehow do something with this thing. Right? <laughs> oh, no. um, this is like Adam's so, waking nightmare, it sounds like. Well, yeah. well the thing is, yeah, and there was a, there was a point where I was like, oh, that kind of – like I've no, I, like I haven't really – been into this idea of like achievement hunting or trying to collect sure. all the things or whatever. So I'll, like, I'll pick this thing up. So I, I picked up the add on and, uh, and I, and I was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try this col- collector thing. And so I started just kind of like working my way through the list. But again, it's that problem of, of after doing that, even for like a few hours, I saw that I had made like 0.006% progress <laughs> Toward completion of like the the game, right? Like right. all the stuff in the game, and I was like, you know, nope, no, yeah, nope. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but had it actually made it enough that it felt like it made a dent, right? Yeah, if they broke it down, you know, it probably could have. Mm-hmm. It probably could have fixed the problem because now it would go. Because the problem here is that there's so much that it just looks impossible. So you don't even like your mind is just like, well, I'm not going to fuck with this. That's just it, right? As soon as it seems possible, then the question that I have is: is does that now become a thing that you're that you now kind of need to do, right? No, because like when I played, you know, uh, again, like Super Meat Boy, um, I, I didn't really care to get, I just cared to beat the levels and move to the next level. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about like replaying and trying to get the best time because why? Mm-hmm. Like what happens if you get the best times? You get an A plus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so like who, 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 who are you to, to grade me? <laughs> game you know like i had a good time playing it my way you just get off my back about it <laughs> yeah it is, but it is for me it's, it's the things that are obviously like enormous amounts of work are impossible that are the ones that i then don't care about so so mm-hmm. there's a i can't remember there's a game i was playing recently i can't remember which one it was but it had like character unlocks or something or no ftl so ftl mm-hmm. you can unlock ships right i've unlocked yeah. i've played the game i don't know for 30 hours and like I've, I've unlocked one fucking ship um and the conditions required to unlock each one uh, are just fucking impossible. Like, yeah, I know. Very sure. Specific. If you, yeah. they're very specific and, yeah. and like require so much chance, so yeah. much effort, so much time. Uh, you can't I, deliberately go get. Yeah, them you basically can't even deliberately do it, right? And so, so when I, so when I first started playing, I was like, oh fuck yeah! Like I played for a couple of hours, and I was like, mm, I need to get some of these ships. So I like looked at the looked at the requirements, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to get you know scheming, and then. And then, like after another few hours, I was like, "This isn't going to happen." So then I just, stopped, <laughs> I just stopped caring about ships, right? And I think that's the difference, right? Is is when I think there's like the thing with a when you couple so the back to levelhead. If you couple the fact that with levelhead, rapid research, rapid research levels are pretty short, right? Uh, you can retry a thing a jillion times, and the difference between like the the on time delivery score and your score is going to be small, right? If you're pretty yep. good at the game, so you're yep. always just so fucking close yep. that that you that that itch to like I have to get this right can't go away. It can't because it's because that thing is not obviously impossible, there. right? Yeah. It's in fact obviously possible, right? And you're just so close, so that you just keep on going. At least it's in my experience, right? So I just like keep on going yeah, until at some point I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. I'm going to come back to this later, right? In my brain, what happens? And I just leave. 
And then yeah, the thought of coming back later is stressful because like I still gotta right. get that thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The well, psychology of this shit is just wild. It's it's yeah. pretty wild, but it, it, yeah, it hits and it hits everybody differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can't even ways, base it just but, on how you experience games because oh, yeah. of course, because there's tons of people who love it. I mean, you look at Dark Souls, right? I mean, I, I went and played that um, a few months ago. It had a blast for a while. Same sort of thing as I was talking about. At some point, I had to walk a bunch to go die a bunch, and I was like, "Well, I'm kind of over this." Yeah. Thing. Right. Yeah. But, right. Yeah, Dark Souls was is like, like the the example of all the things that I just described as being things that kick me out of games, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think I think the thing that keeps Dark Souls interesting the whole time is actually the fact that that every entity you run into is very capable of just murdering you. So even those walks where you're like you're walking to get to the boss, uh, it really is your level of skill that stops you from yeah, arriving true. at the boss right. almost dead. So it's still exciting actually getting there. Uh, it's just one of those things where. If because of your mastery level, you only take like random stray hits every so often from these, these, uh, you know, these entities on the way there, then it ends up becoming one of those like, it just sort of represents more so the how much random XP will I or HP will I lose before I arrive sort of a thing. Like how much yeah. more difficult is this going to be uh, before I get there? And so it's, it's definitely got some of that in there too. But I, th- I think that level of difficulty the whole time then becomes good because actually in the case of level head, as you train up on any given level – it's the same problem, which is that now, while any particular part could slow you down, could kill you, whatever else, right? Uh, actually, becomes so smooth because they're designed yeah. to be speedrun, right? Um, becomes so smooth that it that there's an effortless feeling leading up to the point where you die, which I yeah. think is somehow even worse. You know, well, I think it like, is, but I think you couple <laughs> that, but it's, it's all depends on that kind of goal, right? Because if the goal is speed, right? And and you nail it, like you nail the run and do everything perfectly, but you're off by you know f- five milliseconds or some shit, yep. right? And the question is, is like, okay, well, what do you do differently? Nothing. You just do it again, and then do hope again, that it was faster better. this time. Yeah, exactly. Very and slightly so, better at somewhere. Yeah, because there, there's somewhere, like there's one of the. It's, and it's like it's very like I only did this for like the first maybe ten levels or something before I got hung up on one um, in level head. Uh, but there's some level where like there's, there's like a series where you have to like you have to like drop down, like grab the package, throw it, and like there's a sequence, right? That that there's enough things happening in, in like mm-hmm. in sequence that I can't like nail it right. Uh, I can't nail all parts every time. I always nail everything because of one thing, and even that thing though is usually good. It's just not like a perfect spot on version of that thing. And so every time I try, it's just like, well, I know what has to happen, and I just have to like get all five of these components to happen exactly correctly, right? Uh, and and I, but there's nothing I can like do. You know, besides just it's literally just a practice thing, you just do it again. You yeah. do it again. You do it yeah. again, and then you hope that one of these times, you know, well, these times you nail it. Yeah, so. all right. Well, let's uh, let's get on to the next question, which is from Chalosis, who says, "What does your QA process look like? You have internal staff QA. Do they test constantly? Do they only test when a new build comes out? What do they do when there's no new build to test, mm. if that ever happens? Well, how much of your web testing and how much of your gameplay testing?" is done by robots and what in-game tools and cheats do the QA warriors have to speed up their work? Oh, there's a lot. Thanks for the insight. Well, yeah, yeah. let me, I want to put something in here real quick, which is QA is not just the job of QA. Uh, when it comes to art, so artists don't generally think of themselves as needing to do a QA step internally in your own job. Uh, but you do. I experienced this actually yesterday. I was Seth was mentioned the environments coming together and everything looking Good. And on my side, that means I'm iterating a bunch uh, just on my own, shoving sprites into the game. 
And one of the things that's beneficial about that is that I get to see if I accidentally misname something. Then now I'm the one dealing with it, right? Because I'm trying to iterate on it in GameMaker. And solving, uh, catching problems like that uh, ahead of time before they go even downstream into the, the programmer side of thing, that's still like it's still a QA thing, right? Uh, assuring quality of whatever the product is that you're sending downstream to your customer. So my customer is always Seth, basically, and then our combined customer is players, right? And it's useful to think about yourself, not uh, again, not just with regards to who's the tester that you're sending this off to, but what are you doing? Is there something you could do uh, within your own work to reduce the number of times where your work gets kicked back to you specifically? And all yeah, that. QA yeah. should be built into the d- the development process. Yep, um, at every level. Piece. Yeah, yeah, and it's the case that that one of the the terms that I I loved from the um, the Phoenix project and, and in talking about like DevOps stuff, was this idea of throwing the pig over the wall. <laughs> Such a good fucking metaphor. Um, I love it. So, so the idea of having siloed departments um, where like each of them, for whatever reason, like they have a piece of work that they're moving from department to department and that piece of work is a pig. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, of the, course- The metaphor is as much as it's fun and visually stimulating- I don't understand why people are throwing pigs over walls. There must be some source for that. Well, well, I, I, I think it's I think it's it's intentionally absurd because if you wanted to get a pig to someone, right. that would be the worst way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> right? point. Yeah. Like, there's a wall between you and those people, and it's like, well, okay, like let's 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 just get this pig uh, calm and chill and just walk with it around mm-hmm. through the door, you know. Uh, uh, and make sure that it gets there safely, right? Have but a hand, instead, the gate, have a have a handoff past. Have the a leash, handoff, you know, yeah, whatever. Because uh, of course, you, yeah, your pig leash. Um, I don't know how you put a collar on a pig because they got no neck, you know. But like, or they're like all neck. I can't quite tell honestly. I just, just one, one neck with legs, <laughs> one big fat neck. If they're a neck uh, with legs. <laughs> but uh, and and I think about this when I when I hear about companies who are like, we're hiring a DevOps engineer. And their job is to do is to DevOps to do to do yeah. to make to make DevOps at our company um, because it, it's supposed to be something that's built in to a core understanding of literally everything. Yeah, the, that the every entire person set of all does. work and how it flows between everybody. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, you're going to have people who are engineers uh, like like what Adam does at our studio, where where their job is to develop tools internally to allow the DevOps stuff, you know, to happen mm-hmm. at all levels. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's not the case that there's like a person doing DevOps and a person doing QA. Right. Yeah. It should, so, it's basically everybody's responsibility inside of a, inside of any workflow to be aware of the workflow and their role in it and be able to point out the various places where these things are happening. So back, yeah. back to the throw the pig over the wall metaphor, the whole point is that, yeah, technic- technically, you got the pig over the wall. Yeah, you did your job, but the pig arrived all fucked up, right? It's a yeah, broken pig. Because you now. threw it, man. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to do that to pigs. Yeah, pigs, yeah. <laughs> pigs are heavy. They don't handle gravity super They don't land well. very softly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but to get to yeah. the like, specifics of the question of like, what is. What does it look like for us to have a QA? And and which mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it is a good question because the question like how how do you build your own internal QA? Like what does that look like? And uh, we could spend hours on that topic, so we'll try to find ways to you know get to the high level stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, the original our original start was we hired a third party company, 
um, yep. to try to do. And we had a lot of we had a lot of discussions uh, between the three of us trying to figure out like, does that make sense? Because these are experts, right? So like, that's nice. But now that but because they're outside, then that means the amount of because there's, there's there's always a problem when you're looking at hiring an outside person, right? Because on the one hand. Uh, it reduces a lot of the friction of the hiring process because it's contractor easier to onboard. You don't have to worry about. There's a whole bunch of components of employing people that kind of go away. Uh, also, part they can do work part time because they're probably balancing stuff anyway across multiple clients, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of things that can make it easier. Um, uh, but there's always one thing that makes it really hard, which is that because they're not part of your actual team, they neither have context nor are fully dedicated to your problems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you often think of like, oh yeah, we'll just hire somebody to take care of that as like, oh yeah, we get to offload this problem, right? But the reality is, is because you have to onboard them and you have to hand off work and the training requirements are now not built into the person as part of a pipeline to get them onboarded into the studio over six months or a year or whatever. Instead, it's every fucking interaction for all of time is an onboarding interaction. Uh, yeah. Then... And then the so basically in short, what we found was that well, this company was very good if we if we compiled a very detailed list of like here are all the things that we need tested in particular testing hardware you know configurations of things because uh, they had access to just fuckloads of hardware and they had they already had protocols in place for like okay how do we test literally all controllers right like or whatever they had them all and they could plug them all in and they they knew the kinds of rules that are required for different platforms so when it came to kind of these hardware technical things, like they could just kind of do it. Um, but literally everything else, finding, finding bugs not related to that, giving us feedback about gameplay experiences, uh, they, they could just not do. And so it turned out to be yep. a very expensive way for us to not solve the problems that we needed to solve. And we weren't saving any money at all. Cause it's not cheap. Even yeah. if you are, we saw this, but yeah, it's very expensive. expensive. And so I think we, what we saw was in their, what in their four hours of testing, they had found like two bugs or something yeah. like that it was one of the reports. And then, yeah. and then Seth and I went to go play it for, and in 30 minutes found like 17 bucks. Right. And so, and not cause we know it was going on. That was just like things that happened to us. You know what I mean? Like, were like that's that were not obviously right. bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so we, so we tried that the first, cause that was the easiest thing to try. It was just like, Oh, let's just pay somebody and just try mm-hmm. that out. Right. Before we start trying to build a QA department. Um, so after that, then we started, they were like, okay, but we have to bring this in house somehow. Uh, but we still didn't know how to think about it, still didn't know how to invest in it. And so we onboarded people. Um, we were just like, let's just advertise to college kids for part-time work. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, just bring some people in, uh, and figure out what it would look like. Start trying to build it. And Cause that way if we're bringing people, if we're bringing randos in where, they don't have high expectations. We know they're not going to stick around forever. Right. Uh, then it, it made us feel less, uh, less concerned about fucking up, you know? Yeah. It's much easier to iterate when the stakes are low, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which is that the case. And, yep. And so that, that was how we, how we kicked it off. And, and now, and now to where we've ended up, uh, we have, I believe five part-time keyway. Yeah. Yeah. We have five, we have five part-time QA and one full-time. So Jordan was our full-time hire last Whenever that was last uh, January, um, and uh, and then the way that it works is that is that as Seth is working on the game, or Seth or Sure is fixing bugs in the game, or whatever, we have our automated build pipeline. So the end result of work being done in a game is the version gets bumped and a build gets deployed into all of its platforms, into dev branches and and so on. 
and then all of our QA know that that happens because their job is basically to whenever they're going to work. So for QA, it's usually evenings and weekends or for, sorry, for part-time. Um, they just go look at the, the patch notes because we have internal patch notes that are for what's happened internally. Um, so they just go yep. look at them. And, they're and like, they also they also have access to a, a, a page in ClickUp that shows the status of every build for every game on every yeah. platform, and, and whether or not that build is uh, new, whether it's in a state that it needs testing, that it hasn't been tested, yep. you know, all of that stuff. So, so it's basically on them between now looking at the patch notes, looking at that versions board of what's been built, uh, and they just know that their job is basically to say like, if there's new stuff you haven't seen and tested yet. Go test it. Right? That's go test it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So, so the question there too is like, what is, what is does it mean to test something? Right. Yep. And so so we actually have we have three levels of testing once something gets over to QA. So one is just a spot check, which is basically to say, you know, only like one thing has changed in this build, uh, or or whatever. And uh, so we just need like that checked out because everything else is the same, right? So boot it up on the device, make sure it's working. You know. Uh, run, run some automated tests if we have those, and then it's it's clear, right? Um, then the next is is uh, a more sort of like exploratory gameplay testing, which is like test the changes in the patch notes, get all of the like checklist stuff out of the way, and then just use the rest of your time to just 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 Do play whatever. the game as a player would, mm-hmm. and and just document problems. Um, and then the, the the final level is the 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 deep one, which is the we call it internal cert. So we, we took the language from what uh, consoles use, which is the cert process, um, where if you submit your game to a console, they're going to have a, a like a Xbox, you know, Switch, PlayStation, whatever. They're going to have a big checklist of stuff that you need to hit uh, in order for them to say this game is okay. Sometimes they're technical things, like how many times the the game like reads and writes from disk. Um, sometimes they're like visual things, like the kinds of, even like the kinds of words you use to talk about certain, certain like pieces of the hardware and stuff. Mm, sometimes the workflow things, sometimes they're requirements. Cause like first we of course have a login for everything. And so there's uh, lots of certain requirements lot about of requirements login. around yep. like, what the workflow looks like when you log somebody in, what happens when they hit certain buttons, how they log back out, how they, Do switch they have user a start accounts. screen, just all this. Yeah. Just stuff. a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so so it actually is the case that that for for every game we have, for every platform that those games are on, we have an individualized internal cert process that is a combination of all of the external requirements. So like if we're launching something, let's say we're we're putting out a level head patch for Switch, our internal cert requirements include a huge checklist of things from from Nintendo that that we know they need from us. Plus a huge checklist of stuff that we want to be thorough on running through every single game system and make sure that it's good. Right? So it's a combo of like the, the known, specific, well-articulated requirements of the platform, uh, plus our own knowledge of what the game is and what yeah. it requires to to be described. Yeah, as probably this is I believe this is normally called regression testing. The idea of like. Going back through existing regression systems. is checking to see if something that used to work stopped working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that's always the concern. Because because we're always updating core game systems that that is shared across all of the games, and so our internal cert is is part of this regression testing process. Um, yeah, and so, so that's, yeah. and that's basically what Jordan like Jordan's core responsibility is first wrangling the rest of QA. Um, so our our, our one full time QA uh, is doing that, and then otherwise doing all these internal 
full internal certs yeah. because uh, a lot of these were limited by hardware because it's very expensive to get the dev kits for consoles required to actually run the game on those things. Uh, so we only have a few. We basically, it's like for most of them, like Seth, Seth, I think Seth has one for all of them, right? Yeah. For all, and then sure has one for all of them. And then Jordan has one for all of them, which is already a lot of dev kits for studio. Size. <laughs> yep. uh, they're very well, also because we're, we're all working remotely. Right. So it used to be fine that we had like one dev kit in the office yeah. and now we've had, and we got a duplicate. Yeah, so we don't want to also send them to, you know, all of our part-time QA, because uh, mm-hmm. they cost you know like a thousand bucks a piece, they're just really they're really expensive. But then further, yeah. they have all these like depending on which console it is, they have all these security requirements that you have to be able yep. to say like, oh yeah, we do this, this, and this. And we're just like we gotta we gotta minimize how much we fuck with that, you know. So, yep, um, yeah. So I mean, it's it's been a long journey, kind of getting our our QA our QA team sort of uh, put together and figuring out what it means to to do these processes and stuff. And I still feel like. We have so much more room to to grow in that oh, yeah. area and, yeah, and learn. But, plenty to do. But uh, and then and kind of to the last question about the idea of like um, in-game tools and cheats and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, it, anytime our QA team comes across something where they're like, "Oh yeah, like I'm I'm trying to replicate this thing, but I can't" or whatever, we try to see if there's a way that we can like add a button in the settings page or whatever to to let them do that. It's much much harder with the older games because they don't have that. They're just not set up <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but with Levelhead, uh, it was a dream to test because we had tons of developer settings. And the and game a whole editor is an editor, yeah. yeah. And the game itself Perfect. is an editor, so yeah. So if you somebody could just make re- any context you wanted, if you yep. if you thought that something might explain something you're trying to replicate, you could just make that thing in seconds, yeah. you know. And then you publish it on our on our internal dev server, and then you now have a share code for the level that exactly replicates yeah, so you, the you just problem. Post, yeah, you just post it in your in your feedback, and then like we can just look at it, you know. Yeah, you know. and so so we learned that for for Crashlands too, and so one of the first things that we that we started building in Crashlands two was an editor, so that we can build the the world and the campaign and stuff for Crashlands two, but also so that our QA team can just create whatever scenario they need to, um, yeah. to do and that. the and the worlds in the editor are already synced to our dev server so that now if uh if any of the QA is like building a scenario and they're like oh like I found something that's really fucked up again they could just say go go check out the world that I made right and then Seth could yeah. just open it up and it's already right there you just to click yep. on the right one right yep. um, yeah yeah it's, so we learned a lot from that in levelhead and I mean that's going to be a core part of the process going forward which is like the idea of cloud synced uh, editor creations mm-hmm. um, that use the games and a lot. Core yeah, well, the other thing too is that like Levelhead is a lot of settings, right? A lot, but uh, once once you are a developer, there's even more, right? Mm-hmm. Even more. <laughs> and uh, and this is also true of Crashlands Two already, right? There's even more, and that was one of the things too is like is a for our other games as, as Seth noted because you just aren't set up well for this sort of thing. Um, adding new options, like new ways to fuck, to make the game misbehave, so that a developer can, you know, or a, a tester can do stuff, uh, was very very hard. And so Seth Seth took a bunch of effort during uh, level his development. I think there were a few a few retools of the setting system um, to make it really flexible. And I think actually the last one was even after launch, um, but to make it just really really flexible. Which and we pulled that system out and made it available now to all the games. So Crashlands Two uses the same setting system. And so does Crashlands. And so does Crashlands yeah, now, yeah. yeah. So we, we pulled it's that all, into Crashlands. Right, so it's yeah. all the same. It's giving us this huge flexibility just having lots, lots of dials that can be flipped. So that now all that has to happen is – or so now as soon as there's a mechanism by which we can make some behavior of the game you know, toggleable or 
on a scale or depending on if you're a developer or not, have access to certain things or whatever. As soon as that can be done in the game, it can also be made into a setting. And we just say, okay, who cares, who cares how many settings we have? The more the merrier because we need to be able to, as a tester or as, as a developer, control every fucking thing to find out what's going wrong and where. And I, yeah, I think I think that was one of the huge, huge lessons from Levelhead was was this, the power of a settings system. Yeah, is a, honestly, is, is honestly, being able being able to take any anything uh, and just add a toggle. Because what we used to do is like, let's say we had like a, a an object that we that we could spawn into the game that would like render hit boxes, right? So you could see exactly where the hitboxes of things are and debug problems with those. You know, back in the back in the Crashlands days, the way that we would do that is that object would live in the project, but if we needed to use it, you have to go into the go into the code, yeah, uncomment that thing so you can see it now, and then you know definitely make sure that you you know recomment it before yep. you publish a new build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, otherwise. Uh, you just published a build that has fucking hitboxes. Yeah, which now you've, now you've both created a setting that's really hard to manage and also created a potential bug, right? Versus yeah. having a, a built-in pre-existing system where you can now have – when you make a setting that just as part of the process, you determine who has access to the setting. What does it do? When is it, when is it, when is it available, right? So that now yeah. anytime you go do something, like now anytime a developer is doing anything, like as Seth noted, you know, make making hitboxes visible – Instead of that being a temporary thing that he implements just for this one thing he's trying to accomplish, he can now just go ahead and just add that as a setting. It's now a permanent feature that we can use to test things and, and manage things in development. Yeah, and the settings have descriptions too. So if there's a certain developer setting where we're like, oh yeah, hmm. it's going to be weird if we make this available to QA because it requires a lot of explanation of like what this thing is actually like for and what it's what it's about, you know? Like yeah, just write a paragraph. You can write as much as you want, you know, and, like, and, and it just it's shows up document. under the setting, yeah, as an explanation of what of what it's doing. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's weird because when you think about the stuff that's like exciting about making games, um, somehow the thing that has been like the the biggest coolest thing that I've worked on and made is the settings <laughs> system just because of what it enables. Yeah. yeah it makes I, develop, anything that makes development fun and easy, right? Is, is exciting. By default. Is exciting. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, we were working on the bloom, bloom uh, system in, uh, in crash Two. We got to have bloom. Bloom makes things glowy. It'll make things look, look cool. Right. Um, and, uh, we were we were testing some stuff on different devices, and it was like, yeah, you know, the Bloom is uh, it's it's still hitting certain low end devices really hard, and they're just really struggling to run it, right? So, so I looked at a, at the settings, and I was like, well, currently the Bloom is just a toggle, you know, it's either on or off. I was like, I'm just going to turn it into an into an arrow system, right? So you can like change it from like off high quality or low quality, and I'll just come up with like a low quality version of the bloom. And now you got a setting for that. Mm-hmm. Boom. No problem. Right. Um, and, and being able to just do that, yeah. uh, was just not an option in the past and things just kind of were yeah. what they were and they were kind of locked. Well, in, instead so. of making a, because, so because the alternative here that we, you know, we used to do is you would say, Oh, like, Oh shit on switch. Like this, the bloom is too intense. So let's find a new setting. 
on Switch, have it be that, and then re- and then rebuild, put it out into QA, and just say like, was that good, right? Uh, yeah. And now, now QA instead of being like, oh yeah, now QA can actually they actually can go just like fuck with the scale, right, and find the thing that's good. And then once we know that, we actually just leave all the things in there. But now what we can do is, if you are not a developer, we remove that, we make that setting invisible, right. And we set it on a platform-dependent basis to whatever worked the best. Mm-hmm. So that now the player experience is that for things that it makes sense for them to be able to change, we just keep the setting there. Let them fucking change it. Maybe we change its range depending on the kind of device they're on, right? But we otherwise we just leave it. And then for things that can only make things worse or that we just don't want to expose because it breaks the game in some way, then we just set it to whatever makes the most sense on that combination of you know form factor and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. then just make it invisible, but mm-hmm. QA and developers always get to see everything. We don't care if, if we're allowed to break shit, right? Because that's our job. That's our yeah. job. By, by being <laughs> able to break a thing, that's how we learn about how how it works. And so there's no sense limiting your options at all. I think the reason that this sort of thing is, gets exciting, though, is actually because the, so the the fantasy of working on games before you're working on games is that you'll be doing all of what you believe to be the cool stuff all the time. The immediate reality cranking up the graphics on level three or exactly <laughs> the immediate reality that starts smacking you in the face when you actually are making games and especially when you're making them in a team context is because games are so multidisciplinary and require so many different experts to be doing very particular things that a lot of your job is actually about getting whatever the fuck it is that you made that you spent an hour making into the game, which actually takes a tremendous amount of effort and work. And getting it working, getting it tested, like all this other – there's so much of this on top of what you would normally think of as like the cool stuff that very rapidly any idea that that could speed up that part of it is actually directly allowing you to get back into the fantasy land of like just coding or just making cool art shit, right? As opposed to having to deal with file folder structures and how to handle exports and whether or not your art assets have you know correct outlines for being anti-alias inside of GameMaker, like all this other shit. It's like – can I not care about that again? Because I didn't at the beginning, and I would like to go back well, to that childlike state, yeah. you know? Yeah, settings, QA, and automation are the actual things that make it possible to – Enjoy yourself. To do good work <laughs> and enjoy yourself doing yes, that work. 100%. That's, that's what makes it possible. Oh, yeah. and then, well, and, isn't yeah. that ironic though because you're saying like when you come into games, when you come into this, into this career, you're thinking like the cool fun part of the work is going to be like – Making a making cool 3D characters and models and yeah. like rigging them and stuff, right? But then it turns out that that the the tools that you have available and the processes that your team has make that so hard to do that that actually that's not cool at all. That's not cool or fun. Yep. And so if I now do the, that for 15 minutes, now I have seven hours of other shit to go wade through. Yeah. So <laughs> so so ultimately, then the cool part becomes figuring out how to make that process faster. Yep. And that just kind of stays the cool part. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that's just always the cool part. Once you get past that initial like ro- romantic uh, side of like making stuff to put into a video game, because mm-hmm. to put it into a video game, that's the, that's the part that that's where all the friction is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, it is it's like, it, like for me, it is still like the tools are, I mean, of course that's my job, but also it's my favorite part of watching stuff happen. You know, when, when, uh, when Seth is demoing something and the hitboxes are on it, I'm like, oh, cool. I can just like see how this works, you know? And like, I can, I can just see it happening. Uh, and, and there's like, and the guessing goes out, you know, you know, and, 
And speaking of automated testing, uh, Sure just finished up building our our new test suite. Yes, um, that we're going to start using and try so that we can try Big to get more automation to, built into the to thing. Sure for that. Yeah, and uh, and it, it's just like seeing like now that we now we have this thing, I'm just I'm like so pumped that we now get to start adding more and more automated tests into the pipeline as well. Uh, and and part of this is for testing the the new runtimes because we. Mm-hmm. Every time a new, every time a new game maker or you know our game engine, every time they come out with a new runtime, the thing that runs the game, right? Uh, we need to make sure that all this is again the regression test problem, right? Uh, except now, most of the things are just like, do these functions still do what we think they do? You know, <laughs> like does it crash when this happens? Um, if we try to send a web request, do we get weird things back? Right? And it's all these things that like, not only do we not want a person to have to answer them and like a robot could, but also it's really hard for a person to answer most of these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to, so having this whole thing just be in pipelines where we're now just everything, everything all the time is a pipeline. Things are automated. Things are slick. Uh, and everything is actually QA. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a metaphorical leap here, buddies. Oh my God. Which is that, uh, I can't remember if it was her mom or dad or who's, who said it, but, uh, someone, at least in our lives, I think said about uh-huh. about love that love is easy, and relationships are what's hard. And I think about this in the same context when it comes to making games. Right? It's very exciting to like make a dragon, you know, three D model a dragon. However, rigging that bad boy and getting it into the game in a way that doesn't kill you and three other people involved. Uh, is really hard. And when you start to learn uh, how to think about and love that side of things, then that's like where that's where that's what allows you to actually enjoy and have the first part, right? Like, because you could love someone automatically on accident in the same way that you'd be like, oh, it's so fun to just like draw pictures. Yes, facts. Uh, until you have enough processes in place and have deeply thought about uh, how all that kind of you know intertwines with the rest of the system, then you actually can't get back to that initial state. In the same way that I think, you know, relationships, it's the same fucking deal, you know? Yeah. It's the, a, the passion, the passion's only going to take you so far. Yeah. You know? And then it's, then it's all about DevOps. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. DevOps, top to bottom. <laughs> yeah. You know, people say like relationships are all about communication. Like that's just DevOps for making the work visible. You it's know what true. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Communication is making the work visible. That's all it is. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's got to be looking at the same thing at the same time. And everybody's got to have a good understanding of what's going on. And that's mm-hmm. just called, that's just, that's just communication. It's just DevOps. It's just <laughs> DevOps. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.